0: The man in charge of the Paxton impeachment trial answers critics of the process and the result. I ran a fair trial. There was no bias with the members, no
1: matter what outside pressure they were getting. They voted how they believed.
0: We go one-on-one with Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, his response to critics who believed the fix was in, and how he's addressing concerns about a big donation he took before the trial. Hundreds of thousands of Texans lose their medical coverage, mistakenly deemed ineligible. The effort by lawmakers to make the state fix the problem and potentially save lives. A new state law is supposed to help you find out if your doctor has a disciplinary record. But there's a problem. What's behind a delay to get changes in place?
2: Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of
0: Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. The man who put the gag order in place for the Paxton trial is now speaking freely. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick spoke one on one with politics reporter Monica Madden. He answered critics who didn't like how he handled the proceedings and addressed concern about campaign cash he accepted before the trial.
3: Now, In terms of process, there's been criticism of that from the start. Of course, yourself and others have criticized how the House went about this impeachment process. And on the flip side, some opponents have criticized how the Senate trial operated. I'm sure you might have seen this Wall Street Journal um, editorial board where they wrote, quote, the fix was in from the start. How are you defending the Senate's portion of the trial? Well, I'm not
1: defending anything. We did a great job. the, The Wall Street Journal uh, that in the beginning of the trial said, Dan Patrick is a fair judge. The same Wall Street Journal that had an editorial two weeks before the trial that everyone was going to be convicted easily. The same Wall Street Journal, who when they say the fix is in and, and there was lobbying for votes, they said, probably, you know, they they had no basis to vote to write any of that. So anyone that criticizes that process, uh, well, that's on them because we did it right. And I think everyone gave me good marks for, for being fair. And both sides thought I was fair. The House is the problem, and this is what I put in my closing remarks, Monica, and some people say, well, why did you say that then instead of an interview? Because 50 and 100 years from now, no one's gonna go back and find this interview or any other interview I've done. They're gonna go back and look at the court record, and what I wanted to put on the record, Monica, was clear. The House totally ignored everything that was done in the House on the other two statewide impeachments in the 1890s and 1917. Back then, they had basically a trial Every witness was put under oath. There was cross-examination. The defendant got a chance to address the committee. And then they gave their House members, the 150 House members, weeks to review the evidence. And then they sent boxes, volumes of evidence to the Senate. None of that happened, Monica, this time. I criticized the House because I wanted that to be in the record. So when the next impeachment... Uh, happens in 25, 50, 100 years, 150 years. They can go back and look what happened this time, and they'll see that what the House did was not near precedent in the past.
3: After your post-verdict speech, which I do want for the record, you had a conviction speech and an acquittal speech, because
1: I I didn't know. I, I didn't think they would indict based on the evidence that I listened very closely to, of course, uh, I didn't think they would uh, convict on many charges, but I thought maybe one or two, possibly. So I had to be prepared for that. But my speech for that was still—I would have still said the same thing about the House process. For the record,
3: as you noted, it wasn't—it
1: wasn't to criticize the House. It was to put in the record for history, so a future legislature, decades. In the future, could go back and see what happened and say, Well, we don't want to do that again.
3: And Speaker Phelan, in response to your remarks, said that you quote unquote confessed your bias, suggested that it influenced uh, Monica, your. Monica, I'm
1: not even going to address the question. It's ridiculous. No, uh, there was no bias. It was clear. And, it, and when, when the Speaker says that, then he questions my integrity. um There is no bias. I ran a fair trial. There was no bias with the members, no matter what outside pressure they were getting. They voted how they believed. And I respect those who voted for conviction, Republican or Democrat, and those who didn't. Um, And he's just very defensive, Monica, right now, because he knows his process is now in the spotlight, and it's an embarrassment
3: in general, there can be some cynicism from Texas voters when it comes to money and politics in general. I want to ask you about the $3 million donation sure, I'm glad you did. donation um, from Defend Texas Liberty. Of wow. course, that is not Paxton's political action committee. Uh, wow. They did support him and were sending messages um, asking voters to call on senators to acquit. Wow. So what do you say to voters who have some of that cynicism about money and politics and are, might ask, you know, why did you take that when you're not up for re-election anytime soon.
1: So I'll be running again in 2026. I think the last election, I don't know, 25 or 30 million dollars. You can't wait till the last day to raise it. You start raising money, you know, a couple of years in advance. And when we're in session, Monica, we're not allowed to raise money until the last 10 days of June after we're out. And I normally raise about four, or five, or six million during that time. The governor raised 18 million in 10 days this time. So that's a fundraising time after session. What people don't talk about is yes, I did raise about six, a little bit more than six million. Half of it came from the defund pack, but the other half came from people who support TLR, uh, not from their pack, but from a lot of the donors who donate to me also donate to TLR and TLR. And I don't think they had anything to do with the impeachment, but I want to be clear. But but some of their members felt like there should be a trial. Some of their members were also PACs and supporters. But what I'm suggesting is I raised an equal amount of money from both sides if you look at it but the only it was only reported on one side and you know we have to raise money we'll be back in session in 2025 so you have about a year and a half to raise all the money for 2026 so you raise the money when you can and no one um no one in the texas senate and i don't believe in the house either no one who gets a a campaign donation that that impacts how they vote on something you know there is a certain level of integrity And I believe, and I just speak for the Senate, it doesn't impact them.
0: Monica joins us now. Lawmakers will soon return for a special session focused on education, specifically whether to allow parents to use tax dollars to pay for private schools, what did the lieutenant governor say about how tension with the speaker could affect work on that issue?
3: Well, Josh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick told me directly that tensions with the speaker don't matter. That was his exact quote from our interview. He said that he is already aligned with the governor when it comes to their plan for so-called school choice, also called as school vouchers, depending on who you talk to. So he said that ultimately it is incumbent on the House to get to where the governor and the Senate are at, and he didn't seem willing to want turn. In- Try, want to try to work with the Speaker and try to get some of those House Rural Republicans who've been opposed to these types of programs so Patrick said that it ultimately should be up to the speaker and the governor to come to an agreement and but the senate is already there and has done their part so he says that the tensions between the two chambers don't matter although when we're getting into that special session and uh, down to the details of these differing packages which the house and senate could not be further apart it might hurt the ability for lawmakers to get a package passed quickly. And we know Governor Abbott has said that he will continue to call lawmakers back month after month until they pass an education savings program.
0: Now we know Ken Paxton did several post trial interviews. He talked about making impeachment supporters pay and he named a few names, right?
3: Yeah, he kind of did so indirectly by naming certain locations of where he plans to primary or uh, help primary challengers aggressively. He talked about Kerrville, which is home to Representative Andrew Murr. He is the chair of the House House impeachment managers that, you know, really started this effort also in his role as General Investigating Committee Chairman. So Paxton said he plans to campaign there as well as in Beaumont, which is the hometown of Speaker Dade Phelan. And then he also mentioned Collin County, which is his home county, and home to a slew of Republicans who went against him during the impeachment. And he called out Jeff Leach in particular, Representative Jeff Leach. He was on the board of managers as well and also gave that really emotional speech during closing arguments talking about how they used to be friends and Paxton used to be a mentor. But Paxton said, I'm coming after you. And Leach in re- responded on social media with another meme saying, we're ready. So that's kind of where we're at with Texas politics, communicating via memes online. (laughs) All
0: right. Thanks, Monica. Thanks for having me. There's much more to the interview with Lieutenant Governor Patrick, including how he prepared for the trial and his views on teacher pay raises and education savings accounts. You can see it all online now. We posted a link in this week's State of Texas story. That's in the Texas Politics section of our website. When you go to a doctor, you want to know about their background. A new state law is supposed to help you get that information, but our investigation found a problem with the process. First, hundreds of thousands of Texans kicked off their Medicaid coverage, most of them children. How lawmakers are pushing the state to get its act together, or make sure the federal government does it for them. (music) Whistleblowers within the Texas Health and Human Services Commission sent an urgent message to Governor Abbott this week, pleading for him to take action now to potentially save lives. They say mistakes and a lack of preparation led to hundreds of thousands of Texans losing Medicaid coverage or waiting months for food assistance. Governor Abbott has not yet addressed the concerns, but as Ryan Chandler reports, federal leaders are urging intervention to keep Texans covered.
4: A crisis of care prompting state employees to beg for help. This wanton recklessness must be stopped, they tell Governor Abbott, urging intervention into what they describe as a dysfunctional and apathetic Health and Human Services Commission. Warning of erroneous case denials and excessive delays for food assistance and health care, impacting as many as 32,000 people just this month. Writing, Individuals in need of food or medical assistance endure an agonizing six month wait before their application is even assigned for review.
1: Texas was removing people th- from the rolls through no fault of the individuals, but only because of incompetence at the agency.
4: Congressman Lloyd Doggett is calling on the feds to immediately pause Medicaid disenrollment.
1: There's no reason why thousands of additional pregnant women, children, individuals with disabilities should be denied access to a family physician until we're sure these problems are corrected.
4: Of the nearly 888,000 Texans kicked off Medicaid, 74% were for procedural issues, lost paperwork, outdated contact info, and 81% of those people, almost 720,000 are children. Ryan Chandler, State of Texas.
0: Texas is not the only state with this problem. Data from KFF, which researches health policy, shows more than 7 million people across the country have lost coverage. But Texas has the most, with nearly 900,000 people losing coverage. Florida comes in second with more than 700,000, and in Arkansas, nearly 374,000 have been disenrolled. Changes are coming to the Texas Veterinary Board. We look at what sparked a decision that led the board to give up some of its control. A new state law is supposed to help you find out if your doctor has a disciplinary record, but there's a problem.
1: My understanding was the intent was to have it to take effect as quickly as possible.
0: We investigate why it will take two years to implement a change aimed at stopping doctors with problematic pasts from practicing.
1: That's something that people in Texas ought to know about on an individual physician basis not have to wait two years to find
0: out. Growing concerns after the Texas Medical Board says it will take two years to fully implement a new health care law meant to protect patients. The law was sparked by our still practicing investigations. It requires stricter scrutiny over Texas doctors and increased transparency when they're disciplined. As investigator Matt Grant reports, three weeks after the law went into effect, it's creating confusion, not confidence, among some patient advocates. Well, certainly a concern for patient safety. Concern from this retired
2: federal employee who calls Texas's rollout of a new patient safety and transparency law excessive and disappointing.
1: My understanding was the intent was to have it to take effect as quickly as possible. That doesn't mean day one, but it doesn't mean, you know, two years later either.
2: Dr. Robert Oshel spent 15 years at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services working for the National Practitioner Data Bank, a confidential database containing doctor discipline records from across the country. Under the new state law, Texas joins 22 other states enrolling all physicians in a nationwide round-the-clock monitoring program with the data bank called a continuous query. If a Texas doctor is disciplined by another state medical board, had their hospital privileges suspended for more than 30 days, is found liable of medical malpractice, or convicted of healthcare-related crimes, the Texas Medical Board is immediately alerted by the data bank. That information is to be made public within 10 business days. But Oshel has concerns. He points out that under federal law, any discipline records the medical board gets from the data bank must be kept confidential. So the board will have to confirm them another way before making them public, which the new state law requires. And because the monitoring program is funded through physician fees paid when they apply for or renew their license every two years, it will be fall 2025
1: before everyone is enrolled. So the public looking up information on the board's website isn't going to know whether it's complete or it's partial or, or what they're dealing with. So it's, it's going to be confusing OSHEL questions why money to
2: fund the mandate can't be borrowed and repaid to implement it quicker, like in California, where the medical board there says it recently borrowed $18 million from another regulatory agency to support its operations until a fee increase could be secured. The Texas Medical Board would not comment on that or OSHEL's concern, saying funding for its program is provided in the law, adding... TMB will continue verifying information regarding out-of-state actions as part of the process and will handle National Practitioner Data Bank information as required by law. The Texas Medical Board said aside from hiring five new employees, it will cost nearly $611,000 over two years instead of one, like the agency previously said, to fund the continuous query subscriptions. The spokesperson said it's working with the data bank to implement and test things like electronically enrolling physicians instead of manually entering each name. Oshel said making the switch would save time, labor, and tax dollars. Matt Grant, State of Texas.
0: Democratic Representative Julie Johnson authored the bipartisan bill in response to our investigations. In a statement, she says, it is of utmost importance that the Texas Medical Board be afforded the resources needed to properly execute the measures in this legislation. My office will continue to be in contact with the Texas Medical Board to ensure HB 1998 measures are implemented in a timely and effective manner. Representative Johnson is running for Congress to represent the Dallas area. We reached out to her opponents for a comment as well in addition to the bill's Senate sponsor Bob Hall and we will post any responses we receive online. When you take your pet to a vet, you want to know about the background of your pet's doctor, but that's not always easy to find. The citizens need to have access to that. We look closer at the new law bringing changes to the Texas Veterinary Board, how it's temporarily taking some of its authority away. The state agency responsible for regulating animal doctors is giving up a bit of control for the next four years. This after the legislature attached the Texas Veterinary Board to another state agency, the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation, to try to get it back on track. Investigator Avery Travis first uncovered issues at the vet board last year. Now she has more on why lawmakers believe this partnership will help.
5: My goal is really to make the vet board the best small agency in the state of Texas.
6: A tall task for new executive director Brittany Sharkey at an agency Texas lawmakers have had their eyes on for years. Last year when a KXAN investigation revealed dozens of disciplinary records still missing from a website supposed to help you learn more about your pet's doctor, (coughs) leadership at the Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners blamed an ongoing data migration.
3: It's not gonna be me you can ask others. I'm not apprised, I'm I'm sorry.
1: You heard me talking, I cannot make any kind of public comment.
6: But refused to sit down at the time with KXAN to further explain.
1: We're focused on consumer protection.
6: The executive director of the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation says his agency currently operates this kind of public database for its near 900,000 licensees across 37 different fields and professions. Now, TDLR will help the vet board do the same.
1: That will be one of the paramount things that we put in place. The citizens need to have access to that.
0: I personally
6: am a big advocate for government transparency. You have a problem, though, if the agency itself can't find its own records. Senator Nathan Johnson's bill created the four year partnership, but he wants to see progress on record keeping and management sooner. Within two years, I want to see them collecting the kinds of information they need.
5: There's a new game in town and we are transparent, accountable, and making sure that we're doing everything we need to be doing. And you're not going to get stonewalled, you're not going to get you know, it's not going to be a challenge to get documents and ask us for things. We're going to be able to respond to those requests in a way that the previous administration just wasn't. Sharkey, who'd previously served as the agency's general counsel, produced
6: records showing in fiscal years 2021 and 22, the number of compliance inspections completed by the agency of the vets it licenses dropped to less than 100, down from roughly 900 each year prior those same years the agency's board executed just around half the number of disciplinary orders as it had in years past you were at the agency before when some of these problems were going on how can texans be sure that you're going to shepherd this agency in a different direction
5: you know i think the most important part of that is that you know i did leave the agency Um, i saw that we were not meeting our mission to texans Sharkey returned after the agency's top leadership stepped down amid
6: kxans coverage As proof of progress, she points to new numbers, with more than 700 inspections done this fiscal year and 101 disciplinary orders signed.
5: So I take this very seriously. I am a pet owner. Um, I could not have more skin in the game if I tried. And I want Texans to know that we are really committed to making sure that their veterinary care is the best they can possibly receive. Avery Travis for State of Texas.
0: During the temporary attachment, the vet board will act as an advisory committee to TDLR, with TDLR having authority over most administrative decisions. TDLR will submit a list of recommendations to the legislature in two years, and in four years the vet board will undergo another review before lawmakers determine if they can become an independent agency again. A new law is now in effect that aims to address one of the most commonly reported complaints that KXAN received about toll-billing issues. House Bill 2170 requires Texas Tollways to immediately notify customers if there's a problem processing an electronic payment. Tolling authorities also have to provide an invoice of unpaid tolls. Many drivers told us they experienced errors with their auto pay accounts, which resulted in surprise bills and late fees. What we learned is the bill does not specify what happens if toll entities do not follow the law and instead leaves them to adopt their own rules to meet compliance. You can read how the Texas Department of Transportation and the Central Texas Regional Mobility Authority responded to the new law by clicking on the State of Texas story in the Texas Politics section of our website. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle, and we'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.